Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 5. We can continue our study through the book of Romans. We come to verse 12 of chapter 5, and we'll be reading through verse 31. Romans, chapter 5, verses 12 through verse 21. Wherefore, as by one man centered into the world, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that is to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many." And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenders, offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in 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 life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all, men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the privilege to handle your word. I ask for enablement to preach the word today, and I pray that you would help me to make the message clear. And if there's one here that has never trusted Jesus as their personal Savior, they've never come to true faith in him, I pray that today would be the day for that. We ask, Lord, that you would work in hearts and uh, speak to us from your word today. I ask, Lord, that you might make it clear that we are sinners saved by grace. And there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. He's the only one. Lord, I know that sin came into this world through one man, that is Adam. And through one, the Lord Jesus Christ, only, only sin can be forgiven. And we can be, be made righteous in your sight and be able to go to heaven. Thank you, Lord, for this truth. Bless as we bring the message this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On March the 23rd, 1775, Patrick Henry was addressing the Second Virginia Convention in an attempt to persuade them to commit Virginia troops to the Revolutionary War. The colonies wanted to rid themselves of the controlling hand of Great Britain, And in Henry's speech, he made this statement, Give me liberty or give me death. He was saying that liberty was worth dying for as far as he was concerned. Then just a little over a year later, our founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence on July the 4th, 1776. They were faced with a choice, freedom or tyranny. And they decided for freedom no matter the price. A part of the declaration they signed stated this, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, 
that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They were willing to pay the price it would take to assure that these these rights would remain, and they stated it thus, and I quote, And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And true to Patrick Henry's words, give me liberty or give me death, many died during the Revolutionary War to, to win our freedom. And since those early days of our founding as a nation, many more have died to keep us free. Today we recognize that God's divine hand has helped our country and enabled us to remain free for 246 years. But the sad fact is that many in the United States no longer recognize or appreciate the rich heritage of our nation that our nation has enjoyed. Many do not want God's blessings nor his direction. They hate our founding fathers, our founding documents, and our founding principles. They hate God's word and do not want in any way to be governed by biblical truth. A recent poll revealed that only 81% of Americans even believe that there is a God. Now that's probably high compared to some countries, but it's the lowest that has ever been recorded in the United States of America. Only 81% believe there is a God. So on this 4th of July weekend, we need to pray for our country. We need to pray for revival in America. And we as Christians need to be what God tells us that we are, and that is we're the light of the world and we're the salt of the earth. We need to stand for right. We need to stand for truth. We need to stand for God. And we need to proclaim with love the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as our founding fathers realized there was a great contrast between liberty and tyranny, politically speaking, So today, there is a great contrast between liberty and tyranny, spiritually speaking. In our text this morning, we observe some great contrasts, and those are Adam and Christ, a contrast between condemnation and justification, disobedience and obedience, sin and righteousness, law and grace and death and life. If you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, you are under the tyranny of sin. And there will be no liberty until Christ sets you free. You need to be justified. You need to be taken from sin's dominion to the liberty found in Jesus Christ. Note our passage this morning starts in verse verse 12 with a, a person under sin and death. It says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But then the passage ends with verse 21, and notice what it says. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So we go from death to the possibility of eternal life, And that eternal life is found in Jesus. As we examine this passage this morning that's before us, I want us to look at three main things. First of all, the condition acquired by man. The the condition that is acquired by man. In other words, he's responsible. Secondly, the consequences assigned to man. The consequences of sin are never chosen. 
They are assigned, and they're assigned by God to man. And then lastly, the choice available to man. First of all, the the condition acquired by man. Notice verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In other words, the condition that we have is that we acquired ourselves is we are sinners. Everybody is a sinner. No exceptions to that whatsoever. Now, as far as sin is concerned, we need to understand that sin came from Satan. Sin began with Satan. The Bible tells us about that in Ezekiel chapter 28. I'm going to read that to you. You can look there if you want. Verse 13 is talking about Satan. It says this. Thou hast been in the Eden, the in Eden, the garden of God. Also, verse fifteen says, "Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, until iniquity was found in thy envy." So, Satan, Lucifer, at the beginning was a created being. He was an angel, and he was perfect in his ways, and he was beautiful, and yet he sinned. And it's it says in verse uh, verse seventeen. That thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. He became proud, and pride is sin. Also, Isaiah tells us about that in Isaiah chapter 14. And it says in verse 12 of Satan, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So where did sin start? Sin started with Satan. It was back in the very beginning And I believe Satan is a created being as all angels are. My personal belief is that the angels were created created early on the first day of creation week. Because Job says that when he laid the foundations of the earth, the, the sons of God shouted for joy. So they were there when he laid the foundations of the earth. So... Uh, and the Bible says, in six days God created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. So in six days God created everything, and Satan is, and Lucifer was a created being, so he was created at the first part of the, of the first day of creation. Then God made the heavens and the earth. And so at the very beginning, shortly after that beginning, I don't know just how long it was, Satan became proud And that was sin. Evidently, God gave the angels, like he gave Adam and Eve, a choice of what they were going to do. And Satan chose to sin against God. And the Bible tells us that he fell from heaven and he took a third of the angels with him. So he has a host of demons, of devils, of angels that help him. They are evil angels. So sin started with Satan. But then sin came through Adam. As far as we're concerned, how did sin get here? Well, the Bible says it came through Adam. Notice in our passage this morning in in Romans chapter 5, it tells us about that. And uh, we'll look at some of the verses if you'll look there. And it says in verse 12, By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. You see, sin has a companion, and it's death. 
And so when sin goes to the door of mankind, death follows. And death always follows sin. And so the Bible says uh, sin came through Adam. When Adam sinned, then sin came into the world. Verse 17, by one man's offense, death reigned. Verse 18, by the offense of one, that's Adam, judgment came. Verse 19, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Verse 15, through the offense of one, many be dead. So we can blame it on, on Adam, you might say. Of course, Eve was the first one to sin, but because Adam's the head of the human race, it was when he sinned, followed Eve, that it caused all the world to be born sinners. So sin came through Adam. You might say, well, why do we have so many sin problems today? Well, it started back, first of all, with Satan. He, he sinned first. And then he deceived Eve, and she caused Adam to sin, so Adam sinned. So sin came into the human race through Adam. But then thirdly, sin came upon all men. Sin came upon all men. The Bible says in verse 19, many, by the offense of one, many were made sinners. Now, we can't say, well, I'm a sinner, it's not my fault, it's Adam's fault. No, God says, no, that's not true. Adam sinned, and because that, he, uh, he produced sinful children with a sin nature, but every one of them chose to sin. And nobody here can say, it's Adam's fault. God would say, no, you sinned willingly yourself. And, and the Bible says that. Verse 12 says, for that all have sinned. Sin came upon all, for that all have sinned. Psalm 14, the Lord said, look down from heaven to see if there were any that did good. And he said, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. He repeats that in Psalm 53, the same thing. God looked down from heaven to see. And he said, there is none that did good, no, not one. Romans 3, quoting that, states it like this in verse, verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. And verse 23, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. And it tells us about what the psalm says as well. So everybody is a sinner. And so sin came into this earth, first of all, through Satan, then through Adam, and then all of us participated, and all of us are sins. So the acquisition or the acquiring of our condition was by man. It's man's fault. You can't blame anybody else on your sinfulness. You chose to sin, and everybody here has chosen to sin. So we're sinners. That's our condition. But then the consequences assigned to man. The consequences assigned to man of, of, because of his sin are assigned by God, not by man. None of you sin and then choose, I'm going to take these bad consequences. No, you do all you can to avoid those bad consequences. And a lot of people go through great lengths, you know, to try to avoid the consequences of what they did. But God is the one who assigns the consequences. You see, for every sin, there's a consequence. And uh, you choose to sin, but you don't choose the consequence. It's like somebody can be in the Empire State Building and determine they're going to go to the top floor and they're going to jump out. They make that choice. But after they jump, no more choices. They, the consequences go with the jump. And they can change their mind all they want to on the way down. But when they'll hit the bottom and it'll be too late. 
You see, the consequence goes with the choice, and man makes the choice, but God determines the consequences. Now, what are the consequences of sin? I want to give you three of them as we see it from our passage this morning. First of all, the consequence is death. Look at verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. A consequence of sin is death. Now, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, the Lord was speaking to Adam. And he said, I've made this beautiful garden. I put you in this beautiful garden of Eden. And I've only told you one thing that you cannot do. I've provided everything for you. I've all these fruit trees. You can eat everything. But there's just one tree in the Garden of Eden that you can't eat. And that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God made that as a test. Man didn't have to do that. God made, provided him everything he needed. He didn't need that tree. And God says, don't eat of that tree. So Satan, the one who sinned first, comes to Adam and, he, and to Eve and he tempts her. And he says, oh, it's beautiful to look at. Oh, it'll make you wise. I mean, God's trying to hold out on you. God doesn't want you to be like him and know everything. If you just do this, you'd be so much smarter and everything. And all you have to do is eat this fruit. And you'll enjoy all the blessings that are associated with it. Sounds like the devil today, doesn't it? He'll make something look very attractive and sin always looks good. <laughs> and he'll make it look attractive, but he won't tell you about the consequences. He'll make the bottle look great, and the ads will tell about how everybody's doing this, you know, and the bottle is so beautiful, and, every, and it's so fun to drink and all that, but he'll not tell you about the broken home, the, lo the lost job, the lost health, and all those things. He'll not tell you that. He'll show you the beautiful lady, but he won't tell you about the end of that. He won't tell you how if you fall to that temptation, you lose your home, you lose your, 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 your marriage, you might lose your health, you lose your respect, you, you lose so much that you cannot regain. In fact, I believe that if a pastor falls into adultery, he can never be a pastor again. Why is that? Because the Bible says that a pastor is to be above reproach. And then Proverbs tells us that if a man commits adultery with a lady, then his reproach will not be wiped away. God will forgive the sins, but the reproach will not be wiped away. So if I, that ever happens to me, I won't be in a sane mind, but you should be. And you should say, Pastor, you said yourself. You've disqualified yourself. And so that's the way the scripture is. You know, the Lord tells us. That And so we need to believe it. But sin brings death. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Again, Adam was tempted, or Eve was tempted by, by Satan. But God had told Adam before, he said this, In the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Now some people look at that and say, well, Adam didn't die. Adam didn't die. He lived, in fact, the Bible tells us Adam lived to be 930 years old. So what does that mean? Yes, Adam did die. Hebrew scholars tell us that when it says, in the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die, the word die in the Hebrew says, dying thou shalt die. And that's exactly what happened. He died spiritually. He was separated from God. 
before he could walk and talk with the Lord and enjoy God's fellowship. But when he sinned, he all of a sudden realized that he was naked. He tried to clothe himself and he hid from the Lord. And the Lord went through the garden looking for Adam and Adam was hiding from the Lord. Why? Because he was separated from God. Sin separates you from God. And the reason you will go to hell if you do is because your sin has separated you from God and you haven't accepted the remedy, and that's Jesus Christ who died for your sins. And so it's very important for us to realize this, that sin causes death. It causes physical death, and, but first of all, spiritual death. Now, we have people in the Bible that lived a long time, but they all died. The Bible says, except Enoch. Enoch didn't die, and God took him. But there's, he's the only exception. And, um, and uh, of course, Elijah, God took him up into, in, into um, a whirlwind, with a whirlwind, took him up into heaven in a chariot. And uh, that's a different s- subject. We'll not get into that this morning. But anyway, uh, here's, here's how long some of them lived. Adam lived to be 930 years old. Noah lived to be 950 years old. Jared, who we named our son Jared after, he was the second oldest man in the Bible, and he lived 962 years. But the oldest man recorded in the Bible was 969 years, and his name was Methuselah. But even after all that life, guess what it says? And he died. And he died. Adam died spiritually. He was separated from God at that time when he sinned. And then later he died physically. All of us will die unless we're alive when Jesus comes back. And the reason we will die is because of sin. It comes with, it comes with sin. Death always comes with sin. And so it causes death. Another consequence of sin is dominion. Look at verse 14. It says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Verse 17 Death reigned. Verse 21, sin hath reigned unto death. You see, sin has a way of having dominion over people. Now, some of you have been through sins in your life, and you could stand probably and give testimony this morning, how how it had you trapped. It had you enslaved, and you couldn't get out from under it. And that's the way sin does. Differing degrees for differing people because they're differing sins that act differing ways, but sin has a binding effect. And sin will get a hold of you and, and have a dominion over you. And so it says, death reigned, death reigned, sin hath reigned unto death. And until you're saved, death will continue to reign in your life. The Bible says it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And it says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Before you were saved, you were dead in trespasses and sin. So if you're not saved today, if you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, there's never been a time in your life when you were confronted with the gospel and you realize I'm a lost sinner and Jesus died for my sin on the cross of Calvary and he rose again on the third day and I I believe that, I truly believe that, I want him to save me and consciously you cried out to the Lord and asked him to be your savior and said, I believe that you died for me and rose from the grave. If that has never happened to you, then you're dead. You might say, well, I walked in here. (laughs) Now the Lord says you're dead in trespasses and sins. What that means is you're separated from God. And if you die that way, 
you go to the place that's separated from God, and that's hell. And so your separate sin separates you from God. And so you need to know that, and that's, that sin has a dominion over people, and it reigns over them. So you can be 80 years old, and if you never trusted Jesus as your Savior, sin has reigned over you for 80 years. You'd say, well, I have a respectable life. I mean, I'm well thought of in the community, and I've had a long history of being a good dad and a good grandpa and all that. But the Lord would say to you, sin is reigning in your life because it's kept you from Jesus Christ. And if you've never trusted Jesus, sin still reigns in your life. And so sin has dominion. If, uh, John chapter 5, verse 24 says, He that believeth is passed from death unto life. So we can say this, if you're not saved, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are a dead man walking, or a dead woman walking, or a dead boy or girl walking, and you are separated from God, and sin has dominion over you. But not only death and dominion is a consequence, but also another one which is a startling thing, and that is sin brings doom. Death, dominion, and doom. Look at verse 16. And not as, the, as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Condemnation, condemned. Condemned. When do you get condemned? If you're unsaved, when is it that God condemns you? Some people think, and I've mentioned this recently, some people think, well, I'm condemned when I go out into eternity, I stand before God, and he decides whether I go to heaven or hell, and he condemns me. No, that's not the way it is. The Bible says if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are already condemned. God doesn't have to have passed a judgment. It's already been passed. He said you're condemned. John 3, 16 says... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So we are going to be perished, but if you believe in him, you'll not perish. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then it says this in verse 18. For he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So condemnation. If you're not saved, you're already condemned. And if you die like that, you just immediately go to hell. You remember the rich man, he died and he lifted up his eyes in torment. Immediately he was in hell. And there's no such thing as purgatory. There's no halfway house. You go immediately to hell. And so doom is a consequence of sin. God assigns the consequences of sin. Death, dominion, and doom. And only he can change those consequences. Only God can change those consequences. And that comes to our last point, the choice that's available to man. What's the choice that's available to man? Well, there's only one choice. You see, if you don't do anything... It's already determined. You're already condemned. But there's a choice that's available to you. 
Some people think, well, my choice is to turn over a new leaf and start doing better and do the best I can so that when I come to the end of my life, maybe my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. That won't help. That's fruitless. It won't help. Nothing you do can get you to heaven. Nothing you do as far as good works can make you uh, fit to go to heaven. Uh, that won't work. The only way that you can go to heaven is for all of your sins, past, present, and future, to be forgiven by God. And for you to have the righteousness of Jesus applied to your account, as we've mentioned in earlier messages. That's justification. God declares us righteous because we trust Jesus, and he gives to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, so we're accepted in the beloved. That's the only way you'll ever escape the consequences of sin. So the choice that's available is one, and that's Jesus. He's the choice. Verse 21 says, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do we get eternal life? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 15, grace which is by one man, Jesus Christ. Grace, how does it come? Through Jesus Christ. You'll never get unmerited favor unless it's through Jesus Christ. Verse 17, reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So the answer is very clear in this passage. The choice that will get you away from the consequences of sin is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And he must be received. I want you to notice, I've circled it in my Bible. In the middle of this passage, there's a word, and it's found in verse 17. It says, For if one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. And I put a circle around receive. Receive. And I ask you, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? You might say, well, what does receive mean? Well, the Bible says it like this in John 1, verses 11 and 12. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He came to the Jewish people. Most of them didn't receive him. They rejected him. They hung him on the cross. The Romans hung him on the cross. They rejected him. But then it says this, but to as many as receive him... To them gave he power or authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And when he says, receive, even believe. So receiving is believing. So you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said it before. I was raised in a Christian home. I had godly parents. I thank the Lord for that heritage. And I never remember a time when I didn't believe in Jesus. I mean, mental assent. I always believed in Jesus. I was taught to believe that. I was taught that he died for our sins and all of that. And uh, I, I was taught that, and I believed it. I didn't question that. I believed that Jesus was real, and he came to this earth, and he died for our sins. He rose from the grave. I believed all that as far as mental assent was concerned. But there came a time in my life when I was so convicted of the fact that I needed a Savior that I received him as my very own. I've given the illustration sometimes. If you go to the hospital and you're visiting someone on sixth floor, you stand there at the elevator and you push the button six, or well, you push the button to go up. And that the elevator opens up and you stand there and say, I believe that elevator would get me to the sixth floor. 
I believe, I don't, I'm not afraid of it, I believe it would get there. But it'll never take you to the sixth floor until you get on it. <laughs> it'll never take you to the sixth floor until you get on it. You can believe all the facts about Jesus, but there has to come in a time in your life when you personally come to the realization that I am a sinner, I deserve hell, I deserve the wrath of God, I am not good, I am evil, God says I'm a sinner, but I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross of Calvary, and Lord, I really believe that you did that, and you rose from the grave on the third day, and I want you to be my Savior. And the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And then verse 13 says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There had to come that time in my life when not only did I believe the facts, but I realized Jesus did this for me and I needed him and I must receive him as my very own. And so I put my trust in Jesus Christ to save me from my sins. I ask you, has there ever been a time in your life when you personally came to that place of faith and you cried out to God and you needed him as your Savior, you told him, I believe you died for me and I want you to save me. Have you ever done that? If you haven't, you're still dead, you're under the dominion of sin, and you're doomed. And the only way to get out of that is to trust Jesus as your personal Savior. So the choice is Jesus. Now the contrast is great. Look at verse 15. It says, much more the grace, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many much more. The contrast is so great. The Lord says much more. Verse 17, much more will reign in life. Verse 20, grace did much more abound. You see, it doesn't matter how sinful you are, God's grace is sufficient and he will much more uh, save you and give you much more. In fact, you can say this, if you trust Jesus Christ as your savior, you will have more than Adam had as he stood in the garden of Eden and he never had sinned. Before he sinned, you have much more. Why? You mean I'll be better than Adam in a sense? Yes. Because Adam was created by the creative hand of God. He hadn't sinned, but he did not have the righteousness of Jesus applied to his account. And if you trust Jesus, you have all of your sins forgiven and the righteousness of Jesus will be put to your account. So when God looks at you, he accepts you because he accepts Jesus. Much more. And then the consequences of knowing the Lord and trusting him as your Savior are wonderful. I mean, look at it here in this passage. He says in verse 21, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. Grace Reigns. Verse 17, he says this, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. I mean, sin has dominion over before you get saved, but once you trust the Lord as your Savior, you will reign in life. You will reign by grace. I mean, grace will reign in your life so that God is good all the time. 
And that's why we can say, no matter what we go through, God's good all the time. Yes, all the time, God is good. Because grace reigns and life reigns through the, through the, in the child of God. The consequences are wonderful when you trust Jesus as your personal Savior. Not only that, justification. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as by, one, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to justification of life. We're justified, as I've described it before. It's a judicial term where God stands as a judge, you stand before him, and God says, I declare you to be righteous. That's pure, holy. How could he do that? Because we have the righteousness of Jesus applied to our account, and God looks at us and declares us righteous. Oh, thank the Lord, we have righteousness. We are justified. And then one last thing, verse 21, we have eternal life. So the consequences of trusting Jesus as your Savior gives you eternal life. That means you'll never die. Now, if you die physically, what is it? Absent from the body present with the Lord. In other words, the scripture says, as the scripture said in 1 Corinthians 15, God took the stinger out. I think I've used this illustration before. I'll share it again. I heard of a guy one time who was playing a trick on a buddy of his. And so he found a bumblebee and he caught the bumblebee and held it carefully and he pulled the stinger out. And then he took that bumblebee and showed it to his friend and then he opened his shirt and threw it down in the back. And the guy went ballistic. He was running all over. He was scared to death because the bumblebee was going to sting him. And finally the guy calmed him down and says, don't worry. I took the stinger out. <laughs> you know, we don't have to worry about death because Jesus took the stinger out. And you can die and it won't be anything bad at all because it will be absent from the body and present with the Lord. And God took the stinger out. And so we don't need to be afraid of death. We have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Unlike our founding fathers who had to fight for freedom, Jesus offers us freedom over the tyranny of sin. And the good news is we don't have to fight. He already did the fight. He paid the price on the cross of Calvary. He settled it all. He took all of our sin upon himself. He took the wrath of God that we deserved. He, he faced that fight for us. He settled it all, took it all, and God is satisfied, and therefore he can forgive us when we trust him as our personal Savior. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have true freedom. You have true liberty. And I hope if you've never trusted Christ that today you will. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the fact that in Christ we have freedom. We have freedom over the tyranny of sin. And Lord, we're saved. We have eternal life. We have justification. We can reign in life because of your grace. Thank you so much for that. But Lord, maybe there's someone here today who has never yet come to a personal place in their life where they trusted Jesus as their Savior. I pray that today you will deal in their heart and that when we give the invitation, they will come today to receive Jesus. Lord, I ask that you'll speak to hearts. It could be a, an adult. It could be a young person. It could be someone who's been thinking about this, but they've never trusted Jesus. I pray that today they'll do that. 
as we sing the invitation song, help them to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.